win the battle or perish. That is what I, a woman, will do. You men can live on in slavery if that's what you want. Boudicca. Violent Vice contains graphic and explicit content, which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. guys and welcome to violent vice my name is audie griffith and i'm john john hello if you guys could do us a huge favor hit that subscribe button give us five stars write a review on apple Podcasts. that would be great it helps us boost up the charts we don't really know why probably an algorithm thing but it really helps the podcast out and it only takes two seconds so we'd really really appreciate it if you do that now do you guys know what today's topic is I do, but I won't spoil it. Well, she gave the quote at the beginning of the podcast. So we are covering Boudicca, and she is the Iceni queen. I'm super excited to cover her. Probably made famous that Yas queen type stuff, but way before that was even a thing. Uh, maybe not because <laughs> she's she's pretty early in history but she definitely had a impact on many eras after she died yeah all right all right so let's get into it okie doke who is she so Boudicca was born in about 30 AD in southeast England. It was believed she was born into an elite family in Camelodun, now Clockchester. And around 48 AD, at the age of 18, she married Prestagus, the head of the Iceni tribe in southeast England, modern-day East Angela. Boudicca was a striking-looking woman. She was very tall, the glance of her eye most fierce, and her voice harsh. A great mass of the reddish hair fell down to her hips. Her appearance was absolutely terrifying. They lived in Norfolk, and during the life of Prestagus, they were given semi-independence from the Roman occupiers. Prestagus was given the freedom to remain king of the Iceni, but under the dominion of Rome. Despite some advantages of the Roman rule, the Iceni people suffered many indignities, such as slavery and high taxes. They were still, you know, under this Roman Empire, taxed very, very highly, though they were being semi-culturized by the Romans from their typical gods and um, tribes and everything that were currently existing. Oh, so, okay, so she is around a time where men usually wore tights, and... Way before that, where men wore togas. Wait. 30 AD. 30 AD. Yeah. Pre-tights era. Pre-tights era, yeah. That. So guys still weren't wearing pants, it was mostly kilts or... These weird plaid-like togas. I I mean, like 
togas for the Roman era. I mean, they probably were wearing some type of breeches, but it's not, it's very, like, tribal still. Okay. So, like, there weren't as many or maybe at all castles yet? Yeah, well, I mean, a little bit. Think mostly of, like, wood and, like, kind of just starting up stuff. So, like, maybe a few castle forts here and there, but mostly everything was, like, stick and hay hutches and all that. Okay. So still, like, no gunpowder type stuff either. No, no, no. Just, like... Much, much too early for that. Yeah, bronze era. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I am in the setting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Rome's occupying Britain right now. They're on they're still like the king and queen of the Iceni under Roman rule. And on the death of Prestagus, her husband, Roman law that meant that the majority of his possessions would then pass to the Roman emperor. However, the local Roman commanders took this as a pretext to confiscate all of her property and the property of Prestagus and other leading Iceni tribe members. Prestagus had run up debts during his lifetime. When his wife Boudicca could not meet them, she was stripped and beaten in public. The Roman historian Tactus, who also wrote the description above of Boudicca, wrote that Roman soldiers also raped her daughters during this time. Tactus recorded Boudicca's promise of vengeance after this last violation. Nothing is safe from Roman pride and arrogance. They will deface the sacred and will deflower our virgins. When the battle or perish, that is what I, O women, will do. Other tribes, such as the Trinobantes, were subject to similar treatment, and Boudicca was able to unite them for an uprising. In 60 AD or 61, while the current governor Gallus Suetonius Pelinus was leading a campaign against the island of Mona, modern Angelici, in the north of Wales, which was a refuge for British rebels and a stronghold of the Druids, the Iceni conspired with their neighbors Trinovantes, amongst others, to revolt. Boudicca was chosen as their leader. Tactus records that she addressed her army with these words, It is not a woman descended from noble ancestry, but as one of the people that I am avenging, lost freedom, my scourged body, the outraged chastity of my daughters, and concluded, this is a woman's resolve, as for men, they may live and be slaves. So she said kind of a lot of the same before any battle and like rallying her troops, but her story was one that related to many. Like I'm getting brave heart vibes from that kind of stuff. Very much so. So she was a strong voice, strong powered woman who earned the respect of her neighboring tribes. Mm. At this time, both females and males in Britain learned how to fight, including children like they taught from a young age how to like duel and uh wrestle and like hand-to-hand combat that was very commonplace that women would fight too they had like uh sort of like maybe like the shield maiden viking type stuff but not like 
it's just the men's job to do the fighting anymore. It's just like everybody's got to be part of this. Yeah, I mean, shield maidens, the Vikings, kind of like the Spartans a little bit. Not quite equals, but pretty much there as part of the tribe. Okay. Essentially, as long as you're capable of fighting, you're expected to fight. Yes. Okay. According to Tactus, they drew inspiration from the example of Arminius, the prince of Cherusi, who had driven the Romans out of Germany in 9 AD, and their own ancestors who had driven Julius Caesar out of Britain. Dio says that the onset of Boudicca employed a form of divination, releasing a hair from the folds of her dress and interpreting the direction in which it ran, and invoked Andrasi, a British goddess of victory. So, basically what that means is they did a ritual, like a form of divination, released a hair that went in a direction and told them basically what way to go for victory. If that, that makes sense. That seems pretty vague. Yeah, it was just what direction to head in. Like, how long were they supposed to head that way? Like, five minutes? Or, like, they're just delaying a little bit for it and they could go wherever they wanted? Or is it just, like, that direction is that you just go that way. You'll be great. I think it was a starting point. Okay. Still, though, seems... I don't know. I'm pretty sure that that wouldn't fly these days. It's, think of kind of like a witch doctor type thing. Okay. Like, this is kind of King Arthur era where, like, people are mages and everything, where divination and, like, interpretation was huge. But he did mention, like, the druids were still there, too, so that makes sense. Yeah, this is... Way before pre-Christianity, so pagans, rituals, like the whole shebang. Okay. Yeah. So, in that direction was the rebels' first target, Camelodonium, modern Colchester, the former Trinovenetian capital, and at that time, a Roman colonial city. The Roman veterans who had been settled there had mistreated the locals, and a temple to the former emperor, Claudius, had been erected at the locals' expense, making the city a focus for resentment. The Roman inhabitants sought reinforcements from the procreator, Catus Decanius, but he sent only 200 auxiliary troops there. Boudicca's army fell on the poorly defended city and destroyed it, besieging the last defenders in the temple for two days before it fell. A bronze statue of Emperor Nero, which probably stood in front of the temple, was decapitated and its head taken as a trophy by Boudicca's army. Archaeologists have shown that this city was demolished and that there was a red sediment over a bunch of coins at the time, leading to it being like a bunch of ash. But, so, Nero wasn't there. It was the statue that got decapitated. Yes, but Nero was also the current emperor at the time. Okay. So, essentially, they just did riots and tore down symbols of their oppressors. They razed a city to the ground. Okay. I mean... Like... 
burnt it down because it was yeah. taken by Romans. So, like, instead of reclaiming it, they just got rid of it? Yeah, they erased it. Okay. Okay. And they kept the statue head as, like, a trophy? Yeah. That's kind of awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Score one for Boudicca. The future governor, Quintus Perilius Aurelius, then commanding the Ninth Legion Hispania, attempted to relieve the city, but suffered an overwhelming defeat. The infantry that was with him were all killed. Only the commander and some of his cavalry escaped. The victorious enemy met Pratilius Aurelius, commander of the Ninth Legion, as he was coming to rescue, routed his troops, and destroyed his infantry. Aurelius escaped with some cavalry into the camp and was saved by its fortifications. That was a quote from Tactus. The Britons had tasted their first great success. The capture of the hated Roman settlement of Camelidium, Colchester, the Roman division there was routed and the imperial agent fleeing to Gaul. You don't think that city might have been also what Camelot was? Because it sounds really similar. No. There wasn't like a castle or anything. No, but like maybe like Camelot's like a shorter version, so maybe that was future Camelot. You know, we can speculate wildly on this. And I don't know. You it was it's been bothering I wanted to ask that question since you first mentioned it, but hmm. The name hmm. is very similar, but Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. But still, no King Arthur yet. That, no, that's way in the future. Yeah, that that's a bit in the future. But again, we can speculate wildly here. <laughs> and I, yeah. for podcast's sake, <laughs> let's just say it is. <laughs> okay, so there's druids there, which Merlin was a druid. And this is like a center point of like a lot of these older British sort of freedom type things. So it would be almost intuitive to say that this would be like the new center of England when King Arthur was in charge so Boudicca paved the way for King Arthur to become a legend <laughs> maybe but the Romans still had occupancy for a while after Boudicca had died but Dang. we'll get to that <laughs> okay the news of the rebellion reached Solutunius. He had hurried along Waddling Street through the hostile territory of Lendeminium. Lendeminium was a relatively new settlement, founded after the conquest of the 43 AD, but it had grown to be a thriving commercial center with a population of traders and probably Roman officials. Suetonius considered giving battle there, but considering the lack of numbers and chastened by Petilius's defeat, he decided to sacrifice the city to save Provenance. Alarmed by this disaster and by the fury of the province, which he had goaded into war by his rapacity, the procreator Cacatus crossed over into Gaul. Suetonius, however, with wonderful resolution, marched amid a hostile population to Lundiminium, which, through undistinguished by the name of the colony, was much frequented by the number of merchants and trading vessels. Uncertain whether he should choose it as a seat of war, he looked round 
on a scanty force of soldiers, and remembered with a serious warning the rashness of Petilius had been punished. He resolved to save Providence at the cost of a single town. He did suffer the tears of his people that implored him for aid and had to watch as they were all killed. That was the direct quote from Tactus in his book, but it's basically what we said before. This guy who had was commanding a legion, sacrificed Lindeminium, future London, and uh, chose a better seat for when he would face Boudicca because he just didn't have the numbers. So sort of like one of those, like, sacrifice this for a better advantage later type thing? Yes. Okay. And it was suggested that Boudicca knew this um, just by him retreating elsewhere. I, I could probably say that wouldn't be too difficult to figure out. Yep. But she was pretty smart as it is, so... Yeah. Probably was just not even had to think about it. Of course that's what he does. Yes. She, she was, like, trained pretty well. So, and was pretty smart overall. Fantastic. So, Leniminium was abandoned to the rebels, who burnt it down, torturing and killing anyone who had not evacuated with Suetonius. Archaeology shows a thick layer of burnt debris covering coins, pottery dating before 60 AD, with bounds of Roman Leniminium. While Roman-era skulls were found in Walbrook in 2013, they may have actually been victims of the rebels around Leniminium. Viralium, now St. Albans, was next to be destroyed. And the three settlements destroyed between 70 and 80,000 people are said to have been killed. Tactus says the Britons had no interest in taking or selling prisoners, only slaughter by giblet, fire, or cross. So those are just various means of extra execution. Well, they didn't really have as many options. Back then, they didn't even have electricity, so that was definitely off the table. Yeah, but like burning people alive, crucifying them, and I'm not quite sure what gibbet is, but I'm pretty sure it's just like torture. I want to say that that's the one where the horses like pull each limb and it tears them apart. I'm not completely sure of that. But I know that was also popular around that time. That is what I got. Or, like, just dragging behind a horse. Oh. Yeah. I I don't know what I would go for. Probably the death by crossbow. Uh, that's a crucifixion. Death by cross oh. is crucified. Oh. I was thinking, like, firing squad with crossbows. Just, like, we no. still kind of did that for a long time. But, no. No. Uh... Yeah, uh, that'd be a tough one to choose if I had to. Probably yeah. just straight beheading uh-huh. would likely be the quickest. Yeah, but I don't think that was an option. Probably not. All right. So another quote by Tactus says, A terrible disaster occurred in Britain. Two cities were sacked, 80,000 of the Romans and their allies perished, and the island was lost to Rome. Moreover, this all ruined was brought upon Romans by a woman, a fact which in itself caused them the greatest shame. But the person who was chiefly instrumental in rousing the natives and persuading them to fight the Romans, the person who thought worthy to be their leader and who directed the conduct of the entire war, was Boudicca, 
a Breton woman of the royal family, and possessed a greater intelligence than often belongs to a woman. Also insulting, but he was giving Boudicca a lot more credit for the time than what most women got. Like, almost in a way that made her seem like she wasn't quite human either, so maybe, like, demonifying her as well as sort of a compliment... But the Romans and Greeks at this time didn't have a good view of women. Like, that is well known. And so all the writings that were kind of done and done since then a lot, like, demean Boudicca's significance. But we'll talk about this later, how Queen Elizabeth I and Queen Victoria really brought her back into popularity as a leadership example and, like, what women could all do. So, one of the first major feminists of the time, which was cool. Awesome. I I mean, ones that, like, you know, our same view of men, like, did the same amount of things. Like, all the female pirates that I talked about and all that. Yeah, you seem to be having a theme going on. A little bit. I just, like... (laughs) I like empowering women by historic examples that have also empowered women in the past. Wonderful. Yeah. So, Boudicca and her allies gave no quarter in their victories, and when Londominium, London, and Viralium, St. Albans, were stormed, the defenders fled and the towns were sacked and burned. The The revolting Britons even desecrated the Roman cemeteries, mutilating statues and breaking tombstones. Some of these mutilated statues can even be seen today in the Colchester Museum. Finally, Suetonius, who had made a tactical withdrawal, he fled, with his troops into relative safety of the Roman military zone, decided to challenge Boudicca. He assembled an army of 10,000 regulars and auxiliaries, the backbone of which made up from the 14th Legion. The Roman historian Tactus, in his Annals of Rome, gives a very vivid account of the final battle which was fought in the Midlands of England, possibly at a place called Mancatter near Newaneton in about 61 AD. Regardless of where it took place, it had the tactical advantage of drawing troops from a wide mouth into a bottleneck area with thickly grown trees on either side. Boudicca and her daughters drove around in her chariot to all her tribes before the battle, exhorting them to be brave. She cried that they were descended from the mighty men, but she was fighting as an ordinary person for her lost freedom, her bruised body, and her outraged daughters. Perhaps as a taunt to the men in her ranks, it is said that she asked them to consider, Win the battle or perish, that is what I, a woman, will do. You men can live on in slavery if that is what you want. The Britons attacked the crowding in The Britons attacked, crowding in on the Roman defensive line. The order was given, and the volley of several thousand heavy Roman javelins were thrown into the advancing Britons, followed quickly by a second volley. The lightly armed Britons must have suffered massive casualties within the first few minutes of the battle, and the Romans moved in for the kill, attacking in a tight formation, stabbing with their short swords. So, I want to take just a minute to kind of go over the armor differences at this time. So, the difference in armor was very, very great. So, if you think about it, these are mostly, like, villagers with maybe the sword and, like, a wooden handmade shield. 
fighting against steel or bronze swords with heavy uniform shields that could basically be attacking a solid wall of shields up by the Romans. So, like, the Romans had the top-notch gear for the time. Like, best armor, best swords, best shields. And they had, like, a militarized sense of uh, attacking. Like, they all followed a plan. It was two very different attacking styles. So, Boudicca's armies were fighting for their lives. So, they kind of did more, like, guerrilla warfare, not necessarily traditional, very, very brutal attacks when they attacked versus, like, the Romans being more, I wouldn't say sophisticated, but just more organized and had, like, a mythology to how they attacked. Okay, so... Like, it would be, with Boudicca, it would be, like, a swarm and then retreat type thing, where it's just more like their numbers were overwhelming, and that's how they got their victory, where the Romans were essentially those organized, shields interlocking, very methodic type stuff. You had it right with the Romans, but with Boudicca's army, it was more just, like, vicious attacks. Like, once they broke it off, they had... Once they broke them apart, they had the advantage because they were fighting for their lives. They were trained. It's just that they didn't have as much armor and they knew it and could fight like that. Oh, uh, so they kind of tried to explain that divide and conquer type thing. Yeah. It's like group versus group. They didn't have as much advantage. But if it was like individual versus individual, there was a better chance. Yes. Okay. I follow. Yeah, so when the Romans did the javelins and the group, you know, was in this kind of bottleneck area, they suffered massive, massive casualties within the first couple of minutes just because they didn't have uniform shields. Their shields may not have held up against the javelins. All that. So the Britons now had little chance. With so many of them involved with the battle, it's likely that their mass ranks worked against them, restricting their movements so that they were unable to use their long swords effectively. To ensure their success, the Roman cavalry was released, which promptly encircled the enemy and began their slaughter from the rear. Seeming mad with bloodlust, Tactus recorded that 80,000 Britons, men, women, and children, were killed. The Roman losses only amounted to about 400, with a slightly larger number wounded. So, I know you haven't seen Game of Thrones, John. John, but the others, if they saw the uh, bastard battle of Winterfell, this is kind of what Ramsay did with Jon Snow's army, is they, like, encircled them and just slaughtered them and kind of closed quarter as they went. So. I mean, I, I I obviously don't know what you're talking about since I haven't seen it. And I don't know. Got a pretty good visual on it. It's just like out maneuver, out flank, and then just surround and destroy. Yep. So like think of a circle just getting smaller and smaller and smaller and the dead are piling up. I'm kind of getting like a visual of that last big battle of Lord of the Rings where they are just completely surrounded by orcs. Yep, yep, like that too. 
Yeah, but they didn't have some sort of magic thing fall down and then all of the Romans just disappeared and a weird earthquake or scattered to the winds. I'm imagining something much worse. No, no, they all died. Oh. But Boudicca was not killed in battle. She took poison rather than be taken alive by the Romans. What happened to her daughters, those only speculated. Some say they died in the battle. Others say they took poison with their mother or threw themselves from a cliff after the battle. Then others say yet that Boudicca sent them away before the battle to carry on her legacy. There are also versions where one was sent away and the other one died in the various means. But it's kind of unknown. So there's maybe a secret lineage of Boudicca out there somewhere. Maybe. Or probably not. She did have two daughters, so it's possible. Yeah. Though I imagine tracing that family line would be pretty difficult. Yeah, considering it's all the way back to 60 AD. That's a long time. It is a long time. Boudicca had secured, though, a special place in her own and British folk history, remembered for her courage. The warrior, queen, the warrior queen who had fought the might of Rome. And in a way, she did get her revenge, as in 1902, a bronze statue of her riding in her chariot, designed by Thomas Thorncroft, was placed on the Thames embankment next to the Houses of Parliament in the old Roman capital of Britain, Leninium, now current London. The rebellion of Boudicca sent shockwaves through the Roman Empire and almost forced the Romans to leave England. But once the once quelled Emperor Nero decided to replace Suetonius with a moral neutral ruler, Publius Petronus Thurpalianus. Most of the sources for Boudicca's time, though, comes from Tactus. His father-in-law, Argyricola, was a military tribune under Suetonius Polonius which almost certainly gave Tactus an eyewitness source for Boudicca's revolt. One of the earliest possible mentions of Boudicca, excluding Tactus's and Dio's accounts, was the 6th century work on the ruin of conquest of Britain by the British monk Gelidus. In it, he demonstrates his knowledge of a female leader, whom he describes as a treacherous lioness, who butchered the governors who had been left to give full voice and strength to the endeavors of the Roman rule. So, like, even from this monk, he's throwing shade at Boudicca. Well, I mean, she was attacking traitors? Like, were they, like, she was attacking of the, the area? She was attacking the invaders. Like, it was oh. her homeland, and Roman invaded, and she was just defending her homeland. I, I didn't know if that, like, the governors were people that Roman brought over or they were just people that were already there saying you know what that's fine we can be roman now roman kind of roman usually installed roman rule ah okay so yeah she's just defending her country don't need to get all angry about it yeah um but he also may have introduced her as Vudusia, as another name for Boudica. yeah i mean he was from the church. He probably tried to do stuff that was extra fancy. Probably. During the reign of Elizabeth I, Boudicca began to be seen as an important British history figure. The works of Tactus were rediscovered 
during Queen Elizabeth I's reign, and therefore interest in Boudicca and her rebellion was triggered. It has been said that the Elizabethan era was a time where her popularity could flourish, as Elizabeth, in 1588, was required to defend Britain from a possible invasion of the Spanish Armada. Boudicca had once defended Britain as well, however it was from the Romans. In 1610, Shakespeare's younger contemporaries, Francis Beaumont and John Fletcher, wrote a play, Boudicca, said to have been inspired by Holinshed's Chronicles. William Copper wrote a popular poem also, Boudicca and Ode. In the Victorian era, Boudicca's fame took on a legendary proportions as Queen Victoria came to be seen as Boudicca's namesake their names being identical in meaning. Victoria's poet, Laurette Alfred Lord Tennyson, wrote a poem, Boudicca, and several ships were named after her. Boudicca and her daughters, a statue of the queen in her war chariot, along with her daughters on her side, was executed by Thomas Sorncraft over the 1850s and 1860s with encouragement of Prince Albert, who lent his horses for use as models. Thorncraft exhibited the head separately in 1864. It was cast in bronze in 1902, 17 years after Thorncraft's death, by his son, Sir John, who presented it to the London County Council. They erected it on Plymouth on the Victorian embankment next to Worcestershire Bridge and the Houses of Parliament, inscribed with the following lines from Cowper's poem. Regions Caesar never knew. Thy poetry shall sway. A statue of her now stands guard over the city she raised to the ground. The area of King's Cross, London, was previously a village known as Battles Bridge, which was an ancient crossing of the River Fleet. The original name of the bridge was Broadford Bridge. The name Battle Bridge led to a tradition that was the site of a major battle between the Romans and the Iceni tribe led by Boudicca. The tradition is not supported by any historical evidence and is rejected by modern historians. However, Louis Spence's 1937 book, Boudicca, Warrior Queen of the Britons, went so far as to include a map showing the positions of the opposing armies. There is a belief that she is buried between the platforms 9 and 10 in King cross station in london england there's no evidence for this and it's probably a post world war ii invention also harry potter reference well i mean which was also a pretty significant place oh it is it is and i know jk rowling took parts of history into her books and that is probably why she picked between platforms nine and ten could be. Could uh, be. From everything she tied in with history, I'm assuming that's where she got this from. I hope so. Otherwise, that's just a weird coincidence. Yeah, but it was really, really cool. <laughs> so, I just have a little bit more before we finish up. I do just have a weird hypothetical because of that. Yeah. So there's a potential that some particularly avid Harry Potter fan will run its cart into one of these pillars and there might be a skeleton inside? It would be underneath the station. Oh, 
Oh, okay. Underneath the station. Yeah. Okay. But again, nor historical evidence, but it's just like a myth. So they break through a brick wall that leads to a tunnel down to a grave where she's buried. It's just a brick wall. She would be buried under the pillar. <laughs> I can imagine. Okay. <laughs> let let me have this, okay? All right. I'll let you have it. All right. So in Wales, Budak has yet to be conclusively identified within the canon of medieval Welsh literature, and she is not apparent in the Historia Britonium, the Mabagon, or Joffrey's Mouth, History of the Kings of Britain. Budaka Budag in Wales was also chosen by the Welsh public as one of the 11 statues of historical figures to be included in the Marble Hall at Cardiff City Hall. The statue was unveiled by David Lloyd George on 27th of October, 1916. Unlike the London Chariot statue, it shows her more as a motherly figure without warrior trappings. The popularity of Budag, alongside other Welsh heroes such as St. David and Owen Gwinder, was surprising to many. Of the statues, Budag is the most ancient, the only female, and the only ascendant from outside modern Welsh nation. So, if you guys want to learn about more about Boudicca, there is a movie starring Alex Kingston called Boudicca Warrior Queen. And yes, it's that Alex Kingston who played River Song, amongst other things. Um, and I absolutely love her, and she did great in this movie. It is a little bit older, but it's still a good movie to watch. Um, if you want to learn more about the battle, there's a good YouTube video called Waddling Street 60 AD. 60 AD. Boudicca's Revolt documentary, and that's by Kings and Generals, which there will be links to both of these on the blog. All right. So, John, John, what did you think about Boudicca? I, well, it there's, like, strong Braveheart-type vibes throughout all of it. It's just, like, this person who, it could have been anyone who just got everything taken away from them including their daughter's innocence, which I think that would make almost any parent very upset. And then just, I don't know, a pretty good example of the quote, like that saying, hell hath no fury like a woman scorn. And she basically did what no other tribes, people, at least at that time, did versus the Romans. And she basically almost won when Rome was based, like I said, I don't know. Like Rome was nearly undefeated at that point. It was. And like she didn't really almost win, but she did give them a scare because she did defeat them on a couple of their huge strongholds. If she would have had more people and maybe a little bit more of a tactical advantage in that last battle or if it was taking place in Londominium, she probably could have overthrown Rome. But, I mean, history just played itself out and she didn't, but she definitely went down in history for being a woman, for taking on this huge challenge and for giving Rome a run for their money. Definitely 
like definitely a symbol for other people who were not a fan of Rome that it was possible to fight back against them. It was. So like if you think about it, her people were enslaved. They were being taxed heavily. There is just no hope for these people and her other tribes. So she was able to unite them on a common front, create an uprising, and then just go for it, which I think was phenomenal for all that she did after she was, like, beaten and, like, embarrassed and just, I mean, torn down all before Mm -hmm. this happened, and she was able to rise up stronger than ever. Yeah. And this is really early history. Like, what year, A.D.? 60 AD was the year of her revolt. Okay. Yeah, so she was only like 30 when she died. Trying to think, like, isn't, like, that's not long after that whole stuff in the Middle East with Jesus also just kind of happened. Yeah, like, she was born in 30 AD, so that was like a couple years uh, right before everything with Jesus happened. Yeah, so, like, a lot of stuff was starting to not go the way the Romans were expecting at that point. No. Must have been a rough century for those emperors. It must have. Warrior goddess on the other side, king of the Jews on the other. Oof. How do you even cope? I don't know, but... (laughs) (laughs) This is a bad time on both sides. Yeah. Can't win. Can't win. Can't win at all. (laughs) I don't know. That's I think that's a pretty awesome story. So one thing is though, is Nero was the emperor who burnt down Rome. Yeah. So he Maybe he did have a mental breakdown. I might have been accidentally onto something with that. Yeah, because it's the year 64, so that was shortly after her revolt. Uh, Okay, okay. Yeah, so Nero just had a bad time as emperor. For sure. That's not a great, great time. No, but good for Boudicca. Yeah, stick it to the man. Yeah. Fight the power. Woo! Um, John John, so with that, do you have anything else? I don't really know. I kinda kinda wanna think about how fully equipped all of them really were, like a couple swords and like the wooden shield and type stuff, but I wonder if like they had an option of spears, how much that might have changed things. Well they did have javelins so yeah but like speared and like uh a shield like i'm picturing if they maybe had similar weapons maybe not as strong armor as the romans how much would have changed they were all born fighters essentially yeah i mean probably a lot because like if they were given equal playing ground you got to realize the romans were employed and the Britons were actually fighting for their lives. So, like, their cause for fighting was a lot different. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to be thinking of that hypothetical, what might have changed. Yeah. But anywho, do you want to take us out, John John? Sure. If 
you like this episode like I did, learning about awesome warrior queen women in Britain, uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram's violentvicepodcast. No, Instagram.com slash violentvicepodcast. You can like our Facebook page, which is also Violent Vice Podcast. Or you could email us if you want to suggest maybe some different topics or other warrior women that Audie would delve deep into and fill me in because I'm ignorant about that at violentvice at gmail.com. Or just say, you know, what's up? How's it going? We, we would like that just as much. You can do that with the email, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter as well with violentvice. At Violent Vice. No ampersands in this whole situation because we don't believe in it. Or if you really, really like us, you can support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Violent Vice. And you can see more scary stories that Audie tells me and I get upset about. Or maybe some bloopers and other things like that. Hopefully you like the bloopers more than the scary stories because they, they did things to me. I'm not a fan of that part. I am. I know. It's so much fun. So yeah, leave five stars, subscribe, leave a review, share us with the world. Oh, and just to let you guys know, our Patreon content will probably get a tier change here where the bonus content will be available for the $1 tier. $5 tiers now will get a t-shirt and you just have to send us your address and you have to be a Patreon for more than two months for that t-shirt, but it is a really cool t-shirt, and we'd appreciate the support there, too. Yeah, it'd be great. Plus, merch. merch. Can't go wrong with merch. Yeah. So, and again, bonus content, like John John was saying, scary stories, bloopers, the whole shebang. We usually post about once a month, along with, like, new stuff about a podcast there. Yeah. But that's it for me. And me too. So we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Violin Vice. Cover art is by Audie Griffith. Music by Annabelle Reback. If you want to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash violinvice. Or give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to. This helps us move up the charts and also helps keep the spooky stories coming Thank you.